We begin this week a two-week mini-series on forgiveness. When the first missionaries arrived in Alberta, Canada, they were opposed by a young chief of the Cree Indian named Mascapatoon. But he responded to the gospel and received the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. Shortly afterward, a member of the Blackfoot tribe killed his father. Mascapatoon rode into the village where the murderer lived and demanded that he be brought before him. Confronting the guilty man, Mascapatoon said, You have killed my father, and now you must be my father. So you will ride my best horse and put on my best robe. The murderer responded, My son, now you have killed me. Meaning that the hatred in his own heart had been completely erased by the forgiveness and kindness that the chief had shown. We look at forgiveness because it's an important topic and one that the Lord spoke about. Through COVID, we have heard a lot about essential services. Forgiveness is an essential service. It's a service in our lives, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not. Though it's even more important if you confess to be a Christian. I'll say that if we can't forgive others who have sinned against us, then we can't truly be a disciple of Jesus. Every church I've served in, I have discovered some who are hurting and have a grievance against a brother or sister. If we are to be all that Christ calls us to be, then we must learn what forgiveness is and practice it daily. Carl Menninger, the famed psychiatrist, once said that if he could convince the patients in his psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them could walk out the next day. Let's hear what the Apostle Paul ch challenged the believers in Corinth with. In 2 Corinthians 2, verses 5 to 11, we read, I am not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and, comf and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. I wrote to you as I did to test you and see if you would fully comply with my instructions. When you forgave this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. A natural question from this passage is, who and what 
is the Apostle Paul talking about? Most Bible scholars believe that Paul is referring to the man living in an adulterous relationship with his father's wife mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It appears the church dealt with this man as Paul instructed in his first letter to them. And now Paul was encouraging them to forgive and move on. The psalmist David said, In Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. In the book of Forgiving God in an Unforgiving World, Ron Lee Davis retells the true story of a priest in the Philippines, a much loved man of God, who carried the burden of a secret sin that he had committed many years before. He had repented, but still he found no peace, no sense of God's forgiveness. In his parish was a woman who deeply loved God and who claimed to have visions in which she spoke with God and he with her. The priest, however, was skeptical. To test her, he said, The next time you speak with God, I want you to ask him what sin this priest committed when he was still in seminary. The woman agreed, and a few days later, the priest asked her again, Well, did Christ visit you in your dreams? Yes, he did, she replied. And did you ask him what sin I committed? Yes. Well, what did he say then? And the lady responded, he said, I don't remember. This is a great reminder for us that what God forgives, he forgets. Extending forgiveness and receiving it from God and others may sound like such an easy, straightforward thing to do. So how could David, who desired forgiveness for his wrongdoings, utter these words from Psalm 6? May all my enemies be disgraced and terrified. The truth is that forgiveness can be a difficult and convoluted process. While the process of confessing, forgiving, and reconciling may seem straightforward, even simple at times, it isn't uncommon, especially in the case of serious offenses, for forgiveness to come with difficulty. The process can be both complicated and a lengthy journey. Concepts of forgiveness run the whole range from silly to compulsive. And this is seen by the trite sayings that we have heard and sometimes uttered ourselves, such as forgive and forget, or the phrase, I worry, I putter, I push and shove, hunting little molehills to make mountains of. The Bible presents standards of righteousness in absolute 
terms. Righteousness must be 100% right. For a little bit of righteousness is a contradiction. So there can't be wiggle room for some of these absolute sayings of Jesus. For instance, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Unfortunately, we are incapable of perfection. Such statements as Jesus made, such as, be patient in affliction, or honor one another above yourselves, or bless those who persecute you, these can easily morph into the impossible for us. Expectations that can lead to despair. But we serve a God who is well aware of our weaknesses and patiently works with us. For example, in Matthew 10.33, Jesus said to his disciples that disowning him would result in being disowned by his Father. That's an absolute statement. But when Peter disowned the Lord, he was restored. This is one of the numerous examples of learning, growing, and grace, which serve to infuse the absolute statement with life. Roger Moyer, a retired minister, wrote a booklet, The Anatomy of Forgiveness. He says this allows these absolute statements of Jesus to be seen as an ideal that draws our attention and indicates the way rather than a tyrannical expectation of present behavioral perfection. The admonition to righteous living, then, must be received as one of three compelling truths held together in a wholesome, functional tension. Truth number one, that the truth of the magnificence of God's holiness and his moral and ethical perfection, which is the ultimate standard for us to live by. Secondly, the truth of human inadequacy and limitations as seen in the light of God's holiness. And then thirdly, the truth of God's grace that covers our sincere, though stumbling, efforts in the gap that separates our best performance from the ideal. To live righteously, then, Roger Moyer says, is not to live perfectly in the human sense, but to live authentically. It means being willing to assess our lives in the light of the absolute. It means being honest with ourselves, with God, and with others. It means that faithfulness 
we take seriously that which needs our attention both in our personal lives and in our relationships. So how does this relate to forgiveness? In some some situations, forgiving is a simple act. However, in others, it's a long and difficult journey. In all cases, God's absolute, our limitation, and grace are necessary traveling companions. Next week, we will pick this up again and explore what forgiveness is. Is it conditional? What should I do if I've been offended? And what is the biblical process of seeking forgiveness? And who should initiate reconciliation? Jesus leads by example. He forgave others before they even acknowledged their sin or sought forgiveness. His statement on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's a revealing one. One of the depth of Christ's willingness to forgive and reconcile. He offers his forgiveness to all, but it is conditional. It's conditional upon our receiving it. This morning I ask myself, and I ask you as well, if you have received God's forgiveness. That's an ongoing process. If you have, you'll be at peace with God. You will also be aware through the Spirit of God prompting you if you need to forgive others. Therefore, just as we are called to do when taking communion, we are called to examine ourselves. I want to invite you after our service today to enter a time with God to silently examine yourself. As God's Spirit prompts you, confess your sin to God. And as you feel prompted to forgive others, you must begin to let go of the burden that you're carrying. For forgiveness truly is a burden, not only for the one needing forgiveness, but also for those carrying an unforgiving spirit. So today, take some time to spend in reflection. I want to leave you with a verse found in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins.